This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Changing jobs is exciting and terrifying at the same time, particularly if you're making a drastic change either in the type of work or the size of firm. Buckle up. Today, we're going to talk about changing jobs. Today's episode is graciously brought to you with the support from Building Design and Construction Magazine. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob. And I'm Andrew. And today we're talking about changing jobs, a topic that seems somewhat fitting given that this is the first podcast episode of 2020, and both Andrew and I have changed jobs, in a manner of speaking. I changed jobs in a big way, and I have been getting flooded with emails and direct messages on various social media platforms asking me about the particulars because either those people have or they are considering going through a similar change. I felt that this would be a good topic to kick off the new year because there are all sorts of things happening, you know, especially with me, with Andrew, even here with the podcast, some of which take a little more than usual planning. And we wanted to let you know as far in advance as we could of some of the places we're going to be this year so that hopefully you can come and say hello should you find yourself in the same place at the same time. We'll get into those details throughout today's episode. Cool? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be cool. All right, so we're going to get into this now. Do you want to start, Andrew, or do you want me to start? You go ahead and start. I'll interject as needed. Maybe we'll do a little back and forth about it as we start going. Sounds good to me. I also think that we should discuss quitting your job versus changing your job. Even if there is no obvious distinctions semantically, I think there's a huge difference between those two words, quitting and changing. Quitting, to me, seems to imply, like, You're flipping the tables and you're storming out of the room, tossing lit matches over your shoulder, you know, that whole burning everything, scorched earth. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, probably. I mean, it seems like it when you say, I quit my job, it always seems to have a negative tone to it. Well, it also seems to imply, even though it's not this way, and it's just, again, the phrasing of it, to me, changing your job means it's more calculated. Like, you know, there's a path change or a course change that you want to make, so you kind of put certain things in place or put certain actions in motion before leaving your other job, so that that way, this is a calculated course correction, not a, I'm quitting, and then I go deal with the fact that I just quit my job afterwards. I would agree. To me, it seems like changing jobs is a little bit, I'm going somewhere for a new or better opportunity, where quitting, to me, implies, I'm not working at this place anymore because I can't stand it. I don't want to be here anymore, as opposed to I'm changing jobs, which doesn't mean necessarily that you dislike where you were. It's just there's better or newer opportunities where you're headed. Like you say, that's a calculated thing, not like I quit over lunch and then go to look for a new job. (laughs) Which I have quit over lunch before. I know. That was the reference. Well, we know that changing your jobs demands some measure of your attention. So to get into that, let me just kind of set the table that says, I left my last job. The one where I had my name on the door and I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. And I need to make sure everyone knows. I enjoyed all my coworkers. I had some awesome clients and I had really cool projects going on. And for about 85% of my work existence, maybe 90%, I'm not doing real math here. It was pretty ideal. And yet, despite all those ideal circumstances, I do not ever wonder how I got to be at my current job. And I'm at Boca Pal now. 
and I actually looked this up today. Today is four months and 11 days in. So it's still pretty fresh. Really? It's been four months? Yeah. That sounds a lot. Wow. It doesn't feel like four I didn't think it had been that long, actually. I was like, it's been like two months now, right? Yeah. Four months and 11 days. So I don't have any regrets, even though it's kind of interesting. They brought me in at a level to where I obviously, I'm not getting the keys to the kingdom, but I'm not being brought in to just manipulate digital files in Revit. That's not where my skill set is, and that's not why they want me there. You've been working for long enough. That's not really where you're at either. But one of the things that's interesting is this is a pretty big firm. In Boca Pal, there's about 110 plus people, and they're in the kind of the eight-figure invoicing range in a year. So they've got a lot of stuff in place. Wow. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. But when they brought me over, they said there's a honeymoon period of six months. And once I hit six months, then they start to bring me into more higher level firm meetings. They essentially don't want to lift the skirt before they've decided that this is not a failed experience. That's kind of a crude statement, maybe, but... Yeah, I think so. And I didn't realize it was going to be six months. Most places have a six-month trial period. That's really the way to put it. Yeah. And so luckily for me, because I actually had this conversation today, uh, the, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, it's going fine. No worries. So four months, 11 days. And I am really anticipating all the things that are going to open up to me at the six-month period. Because then, because I have a lot of skill sets that I have right now that I'm not using because they don't need me to do it because I'm not in the right kind of meetings. So even then, with what I'm doing right now, it's going pretty well and I'm pretty happy with it. But you feel like you're settling in a little bit? I mean, I know for a while it's like, well, I don't know. But you feel like you're doing all right right now? Yeah, and that's something we'll get into in just a bit because there's definitely been some growing pains. It hasn't always been, you know, milk and honey since I've come over. There's been moments where I've been incredibly frustrated and there's been actually more times than I really want to admit, but I think that's kind of the reason we're recording this podcast is to talk about stuff that other people might be experiencing that folks generally don't put out there because I don't know people are private, but there were moments when I go, golly, am I doing what I need to be doing? Because it's so different. It's so different. Let me get into the reasons why I left. Like, why would I make this change? So I'm 51 years old. I've been doing the type of work that I had been doing, which is kind of high touch, white glove, small commercial and high end residential work for about 20 years. And I like to think I was pretty good at it, and I certainly enjoyed doing it. So what could possibly convince me to leave the circumstances where I had my name on the door, almost complete autonomy to do whatever I want, to go do something that I have no real background in working on? Like, why would anybody do that? That's a reasonable question. I mean, besides, they tripled your salary. And I'm not saying they did, but I'm saying if that was the case, then maybe so. They didn't. (laughs) I know that they didn't, man. I'm just saying. No, but that was part of the consideration, quite honestly, because it's not just, I will say this. So my compensation with where I work now is better than my best year ever at my last firm. And my best year ever at my last firm was heavily contingent on bonuses. And that was part of it. And I didn't have any control at my last firm over the bonus amounts. I could go 11 and a half months going, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And then one person decides that it's not going to be great and I have no control over it, which is one of the, re- mm. one of the reasons why I ended up leaving. So in a more kind of structured manner, so let's get into this. I left for two major reasons. And okay. honestly, I don't think anyone would be surprised by what those things were. Not because it was obvious due to 
my personal reasons or because my life is just out there and anybody can figure it out. But because if you're going to leave a pretty amazing situation for the black abyss of doing something you've never done before, yeah. those reasons should be pretty obvious. I mean, I think anybody could kind of rub two sticks together and come up with a pretty educated guess as to why I might do that. So first reason, conflict with one of the partners. And now it wasn't anything nasty or salacious. It was just some fundamental disagreements on how things should be done. And I'll say, would you be surprised to learn that I'm an opinionated person, Andrew? <laughs> no. I know how particular you are. I'm very particular. All the time. All the time. And furthermore, I don't really care for situations where I feel like I don't have a voice in the matter. Part of me thinks if you want my opinion, you need to be prepared to act on it. I don't need FaceTime. I'm not that person. So yeah. the senior partner at my last firm has had his own practice where it's just been him calling the shots for 25 or six or seven years or something like that now. And hopefully I'll say this in the most gracious way possible, because I, I care for him deeply. I would even say I love him as a human being, but he was who he was, and he was going to do what he felt was right no matter what, which on one hand is a great attribute. You need to be, have convictions and stand by those convictions. That doesn't necessarily make you a good business partner. So I struggled with the idea that no matter what I did or said or however sound my arguments or my logic may be, in the end, he was going to do whatever he wanted to do. I didn't love that. Yeah, but I can understand that, actually. I mean, as a business owner for 10 or so years that you get used to doing things the way you want to do them and you're used to doing them. I thought many times about whether or not I wanted to ever take on a partner and part of me is like, no, because I don't want to have to share, not responsibility. I wanted to share that, but you know, the decision-making process. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I get it. And it, yeah, the longer you do it, the harder it gets. The harder it gets. I think if I had started out with a partner, then it would be easy. But when you get used to doing so many things on your own for a while, your own decisions about your business, and even if you have employees, if you're still the only vote that matters, it's hard to get out of that mentality. I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> well, I recognize that for being what it is. And so I don't have any animosity. I mean, he may have been trying. He may not. I don't know. I can't really speak to that. But I know that I got to the point where I didn't see us as, you're my boss and I'm your employee. And I think that, you know, I've worked with this guy for so long. First guy ever hired me 27 yeah. years ago. I think that there is always this, like, way that we looked at each other, that he was always going to look at me as the, the father figure. He's only 10 years older than I am. I just think that I got to the point where I, I saw us as equals, but yet our opinions did not have equal measure. He was just going to do what he's going to do. And so there's only two ways of dealing with it. You either accept it or you go, all right, I'm going to move on to something else. At the end, I end up choosing to go on to do something else. But the second reason that I end up deciding to leave was that I don't handle stress particularly well. Something else you probably can attest to because you've seen. <laughs> the the ramifications yeah. of Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. I, know. I get really bitchy. Well, yeah, and flustered and yeah. Yeah, and I and really I just want to take care of it. So there's a lot of just everyone like get out of my face, like don't be here right now. Let me just do this and then I'll deal with you or whatever. So I don't deal with stress particularly well. And in a small office, there's lots of things that were stressful. There was lots of stress associated with my job. Part of it was the way the office was structured. The thing that was good is I sold and managed all my own projects. 
a senior partner did the same thing and selling work and managing projects and staff and feeling like you're doing a great job. And all the while I'm losing sleep because I don't really have any real control over how the money gets spent. I don't have any control over staffing. I didn't really get a say in how we should distribute funds to either raises or bonuses or new equipment in the office. I can make an argument. And most of the time he would listen to me, but those are the easy calls. And you know that if you're going to be in a partnership, you and I are going through it right now to a certain extent here with on Life of an Architect. Yeah. And I've got this website that I've literally bled, sweat, tears, the whole bit for 10 years. And now you're coming in and you've been very respectful about, hey, this is your baby. I don't want to mess it up. But at the same time, I think I'm, you know, maybe it's because I'm the youngest child or whatever the case may be. I know that I didn't like the situation and the things that I didn't like about my situation as my last job to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. That I, I try to be cognizant. And even though I kind of ratchet down on you at times, I still step back and go, you need to have ownership and part of what we're doing here for it to be successful. And I think the two of us can make something more successful than just me. That's a big part of what partnership has to be about. And when you have a firm of eight people and it's been one guy's baby for 25 years, I recognize how hard it is to let that go. Yeah, I would say so. So as a result, I came to a crossroads in my career. And we should take a step back just to look at what a huge change this is, you know, because I went from a very small firm and all the things that come along with that to going to a large firm with a million moving parts, an established firm culture, and a focus on five or six different building types that I am not an expert on yet. I will be, but I'm not there yet. This was an unbelievably scary change to make. I'm not going to lie. And I agonized over this for months. I routinely lost sleep. And from the period from when my new job showed up on my radar screen to the moment I finally made the decision was absolute hell. Yeah. And it was like, what, four, six months or something. I mean, it was a while. Yeah. It took a long time to go through it because I knew I was leaving a really great situation with people that I cared about deeply, deeply. Yeah. To something... I had no idea what I was doing in the grand scheme of things, but that was also kind of exciting. Mm, maybe. I don't know that I'm looking at my situation as exciting. Is that it's exciting, but it's more scary. Well, I think that's a big part of why we have to go through your story and the changes you're going through, because I do think a lot of people go through it as well. It's different, even though I don't think it's uncommon. I don't know. I feel like maybe it, uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It seems to me that it's uncommon because I don't know anybody else that's done it. And I know a lot of people. Well, not all this little, the exact literal nuances are the same. But before we get into why some of these changes, let's talk about your situation a little bit. Okay. From what standpoint? Exactly. I don't even know where to start. That right there is kind of telling. So if people didn't know, let's start by saying, and I can tell part of the story by just saying, this was the first job you ever had. You went to go work for a guy. You ended up buying his company from him. Yeah, because he got ill and died. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> There's that little part. See, you want to talk about scary stuff. That was another scary change in jobs. It wasn't really a change in jobs, but definitely a change. That was in 2005. I've been doing pretty well for a long time until about maybe 2012, 2013. The second recession hit. And maybe it wasn't a, a national thing, but there was definitely an architectural lull at that time. Right. My small company, we had found a niche doing a lot of 
public work to a certain size, whether it was public schools or municipal work or higher education work, that was in a project size and dollar amount range for projects that most of the larger firms never really wanted to bother with. We had carved ourselves out a pretty good niche in that area by about 2008, 2009. And then once the recession hit, all those big firms started going after every project on the planet for cash flow more than anything. So it turned out my firm at the time of six people, eight people, me being the only licensed architect, was going against like Gensler, Perkins and Will and HKS and stuff for like... Yeah, some of the biggest firms on the planet. Yeah, for $2 million projects. That was it. There's no way that on paper, these are all statement of qualification based projects. And that's all we've ever done. That's all I've ever known really how to do. I mean, we do some other work, but that's 75 to 80% of our workload always was publicly acquired projects, which means we go through, you know, we submit a, basically a portfolio and all of our qualifications and somebody somewhere puts a grade on them, the client or a representative of the client, and then they award the jobs. And so... Once we started competing against 400, 500, even 200 person sized firms, it got really difficult for us to compete. Even when the economy picked back up, those firms decided that they weren't going to stop getting that work, which to me doesn't make any sense financially, but somehow I guess it does. I don't think so, but it's the way that things have worked out. And so at this point, I'm tapering down my practice. And luckily, a few years ago, I started teaching. So at this point, it looks like I am making a transition into teaching, although I don't think I'm going to stop working, but I may not be head of my own firm. I may be working for someone else in the near future, which is also a scary concept coming from someone who's been doing whatever they wanted to do for 20 years. I don't know if funny is the right word for it, but one of the things you hear from people who have their own businesses is they work all the time, but they get to work when and how they want to. And I know you're not a huge morning person. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. And I know that you would work till all hours of the night and beyond, but you might roll into the office at nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning or something. If, and if you need to leave, go pick up your kids or, you know, you just did it. Yeah. And now when you're not your own master, and especially since this has been your life since you've had kids. Yeah, that scares the ever-living bejesus out of me, man. Yeah, you start thinking, how am I going to make this work? Yeah, it makes me worry about how am I going to be able to do the things that I, I need to do and I've had to do, all that kind of stuff. It's a huge impact on my life that not only changes my professional life, but really gets into my personal life, which is what makes me extremely nervous and scared about what's coming in the future. And you and I talked about this before, because there'll be times when my workload's high, your workload's high, or, or traveling, or it's just trying to sync up our two very busy schedules to do a podcast or talk about the things that need to get done. And I was cranking a little bit to my wife about a few things, and she was like, you know, you need to cut Andrew some slack. And don't read that, that I was bad-mouthing you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. You do that to my face. I get it. I, you don't do that behind my back. I know. I tell it. Yes, right. I, I put everything out there. <laughs> so my wife was very quick to point out. She's like, you know, if you have a heavy workload, I pick up the slack. And it's the same thing. If she's got a busy, I would as well. But if it's Sunday and somebody's got to bring my daughter somewhere or we got to make dinner or somebody's got to go run an errand to pick her up or drop her off and I have to work. Well, I've got backup. I've got support. You're raising these kids. It's just you. Yeah. I mean, at least half the time. 
I mean, when they're with me, yeah. Yeah, you got to make dinner. You can't just like pawn it off to somebody else and say, well, I got to go record a podcast. Yeah. Can you take care of dinner tonight? Yeah, it doesn't work that way for me. So we were talking a little bit about whether it's exciting or scary or whatever. So for you, is the personal side of it more scary than the professional side of it? No, it's both scary. It's all scary. (laughs) It's all nerve wracking for me. And I guess maybe it is the personal side more because it's really about the freedom that I've had and grown accustomed to. Yeah. Like you say, to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Not that I'm not doing stuff or getting the job done, but just that I do it on my own time when I feel like I want to do it. Yeah. You're putting your 14 hours in from 10 until midnight, not seven until nine. Yeah. Or whenever, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if I can do the work whenever I need to do the work or want to do the work or have time to do the work that's been based around my personal schedule. That's what's going to change and what's frightening a little bit. Granted, I got kind of a taste of it this past fall semester because I already started teaching full time. And so I've got Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that I don't, it's not mine. It's the university's now. And so I've gotten a taste of what that's like. And, you know, I have eight o'clock class. And so I'm starting to adjust to it. It's just not quite as, it's not terrible, but it's taken some adjustment for sure. And I guess that's part of what changing job comes down to is, is the adjustments that you have to make to accommodate the needs of the new firm. So change is a big part of any time. I mean, it sounds stupid as I say it. (laughs) Courts change plays a role when you change jobs. Adjustments. Adjustments, a better way to look at it. At Boca Pal, where I work now, they've been very nice, very kind. It's very family oriented atmosphere. First, I should say the best positive ever that could have happened that I did not even think about. And had I thought about it, this would have been a lot easier of a decision. I've always kind of wondered. I worked for a couple larger firms when I was a much younger man. Yeah, a long time ago, right? Yeah, I mean, and you weren't there very long. Yeah. I didn't enjoy myself, and I couldn't see myself prospering. But that came during a period of my life where I was pretty aggressive and not necessarily, I didn't have any skins on the wall to justify my opinion about my abilities. Yeah. I know. You were arrogant. I was. I was a jerk. That's but it, the easiest way to put it. And it's fine. I mean, that's youth. Because it turns out it turns out I was right. I just <laughs> was too young. <laughs> a- anyway. <laughs> okay. All right, man. Good. Good. Good to yeah, know. But they were too young to realize that despite my youth, they should be listening to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... It- <laughs> So anyway, that was just, haha, a little moment of levity. I hadn't known you long enough to realize yeah, that they, you were yeah, always they, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that I was always right. So here's the thing that I learned is really great. I will concede that I'm a bit much to take. I'm intense in everything that I do. When I'm in it, I'm 100% in it. When I'm out, I'm 100% out. I'm not a roll with the flow kind of guy a lot of times. Yeah, no. And I mean, so, sometimes, but. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, I don't think I'm on an island here with this as a personality trait, but at my last firm, it was me in a room with eight people, and it's literally, I viewed the area where I sat as the stage. And so Uncle Bob would have to tell a story, and I'd shut the whole room down. Mm -hmm. I would talk about whatever I wanted to talk about, because that was the moment that I felt, I want to take a break from working for five minutes, so I'm going to entertain myself by entertaining everybody else. Yeah. And everybody gets tired of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not so great for a corporate structure probably either, but. It's not. And you know, but when you get 
a hundred percent me a hundred percent of the time, it's too much. You can't handle it. Yeah. I can imagine. Agreed. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to say that it's irritating. <laughs> it's like, if you, all you ate was the greatest hamburger ever. After a while, it wouldn't be that great. I guess that's my point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. You can't appreciate how great something is if, if it's great all the time. Yeah. It's got to go away and you've got to lose right. the taste of it for a while. Yeah. Exactly right. So. I hear you. At the new firm that I'm at, it's a big office and there's a hundred people there. And nobody gets so much of me that I get on anybody's nerves. You can spread yourself out. That's right. <laughs> you can go over this pod for today, that pod for tomorrow. You just... You know what? And I'm not kidding. It's a bigger stage. Oh my God. It's so great. I love it so much. I can go get my five minutes of... I mean, I need to shut my brain down. I'm too much for me, even. <laughs> now, I don't know about that, but yeah, okay. <laughs> And I need to go do something. I mean, I need to get up and walk around. I just have to. It's just, that's how I am. I know. But now I can go and there's 40 or 50 people that I can go say, hey man, how was your weekend? And I can go talk to somebody and then leave. And I'm not going to bug that guy for two or three more days. Yeah. And you're not shutting down the whole office. And I'm not shutting down the whole office. Everybody doesn't stop working to listen to you. Hey, for the record, I'm pretty sure they all loved when I shut down the whole (laughs) office. I don't doubt. And then look, I cannot say anything about that. My office, we were very relaxed and had a lot of fun. It wasn't 100% work all the time. Yeah. So had I known that this upside existed, I didn't even think about it when I was coming up with a, should I do it? That wasn't even on your pros list of extra audience. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm not sure I love you calling it extra audience. That's not how I mean it. <laughs> it just, but yes, you're not incorrect. It is extra audience. Ways to distract myself without interrupting the overall workflow of the office. I'm not even thinking about it from an office-wide standpoint. It's like, to me, it's the it's just individual. I'm, no, no, no. I'm not bothering that person all day, every day with oh, my nonsense. I got you. I can bother him for 30 minutes on a Tuesday. Then I can go bother all these other people. And I might not get back to him in my loop for, for like a week two or weeks. two. Okay, I got you. You're not yeah. annoying everybody every day. Yeah, I'm just annoying one person for 30 minutes every two weeks. Yeah, so it makes it easier for them to tolerate. I got you. They don't find it annoying. Yeah, because it's, it's, yeah, it's not annoying when it's every other week. That was a huge problem. <laughs> I can see that. Stay tuned for more Life of an Architect. Hey, everybody. We wanted to share with you some of the places that we're going to be this year that we have scheduled for 2020 right now. We're going to be out and about. And we would love for you to come and meet us. Some of these places, we may even have events for you to attend just to get to hang out with us and we'll get you a drink. <laughs> that sounds so amazing. Hang out with us. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get to hang out with us. Actually, the real appeal here is that there's going to be drinks and socializing and cool things happening and prizes and buttons and shirts. Oh, I forgot about all that. No, I just said it. There it is. Swag. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to be is we're going to be at KBiz, IBS. That's the Kitchen, Bath, and Industry Show and the International Building Show that's in Vegas. This January, 21st through the 23rd, put it on your calendars because we're going to have a Life of an Architect podcast happy hour social event on Wednesday, January 22nd at the Show Village Modern Luxury Home. It's in parking lot C from 4 to 6. And like I said, there's going to be drinks. There's going to be food, and we're going to have some swag. Might have to do something to get the t-shirt swag, because we didn't make them, we got a limited run on those. 
<laughs> yeah, those are li- those are limited edition at the moment. You gotta you gotta do a little extra to get you one of those. But and then later on this year, we're going to be at the AI National Conference on Architecture in, in LA from May 14th to the 16th. That'll be cool. Check it out. Yeah, we always like to go to those things. So we'll see a lot of our friends there. Hopefully. Yeah. And then we also have the BQE Succeed 2020 conference, which will also be in Las Vegas. Oh my God. There's so much Las Vegas. Yeah. It's we're we're just going to be Vegas up. I'm going to be, I need to get like an Elvis suit. Yeah. Yeah. I need to practice on my craps. (laughs) (laughs) So from May 31st to June 2nd of this year, and that's taking place at the Encore at the Win. So it's next door to the Win, but it's part of the Win. You know what I'm talking about, all you Vegas people. Yeah, it's there. It's right there in the complex. Yeah, so we're presenting at that show. It's going to be cool. There's a lot of cool stuff at that one. I've never been. Andrew's never been. We're going to check it out. We hope you do the same. So that's three events that we know of that all happen within basically the first five months of 2020, where we get a chance to meet you and you can get a chance to have a drink on our dime. Or two. Come out. Check it out. We'll always have some swag stuff with us, and it'd be great to meet you. But if I think about the things that have been hard, and this is really what people care about. This is when people ask me the questions, when I get the DMs, when I get the emails, and they want to go, oh my God, what about this and that and the other? The parts that have been really tough was my skill set comes to do with my ability to read the conversation in, the, in a room. I don't put my foot in my mouth very often, at least not in a business environment when there's <laughs> clients at the table. Okay, I'll give you that. When I'm actually trying to guard and be, choose my words very cautiously, I'm able to communicate well. I communicate good. <laughs> I talk pretty. I talk pretty. So I, I have certain skill sets that translate regardless. But I went from a white glove, high touch environment to they're like, okay, we're going to need this many elevators because usually you want to plan for about one elevator per 60,000 square feet of space. And this core is going to be this big. And that means we're going to have an offset of 90 feet and we're doing a super parking deck. I haven't done these things before. I don't have all these intrinsic rule of thumbs. This is how stuff happens when you're doing high rise buildings and office towers and training facilities for flight simulators. These are not things that I just inherently have a knowledge base to. I go to the office and half the time I go, everyone thinks I'm a fraud. (laughs) <laughs> because I don't know these things. Uh, yeah, but but if I sit at the table, I can have a conversation with somebody and I can make a connection and I know how workflow is supposed to happen. And I can say, we don't need to wait to do this. We can do this now. And I can talk to talk and I have an army of people that work in my office that can walk the walk. Unlike my last farm where one person did everything. That's not how it is at Boca Pal. Well, yeah. Not everybody's siloed like you're the parking lot guy. It's not siloed like that, but I don't have to do it all. If I don't know how to do something, I don't have to do a little song and dance until I can get out of the room and go look it up and teach myself how to do something. Because the nature of, even at my last job, even though I had done all that stuff for a while, our whole objective was try to do new stuff all the time. And how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we do that? Didn't stop us from doing our jobs. So if I don't know exactly what some ratio is or how this block, there's 50 people that I can say, how, how does this work? Tell me this real quick. And then I can move on from that. I'll get there. You can be like, hey, Jim, how's that third floor parking configuration going to work? And they're like, bloop, here's the path. Here's the butt. Here's how much space you need. Yeah. And that's a big hang up for me. 
that's the hardest transition I've gone through is from having to be the guy that has to do everything and know everything, be the expert, to not having to be the expert and to rely on other people to help you and the team does all this work together. So that's been the biggest adjustment. And this has been interesting too. We work both so much faster and so much slower at the same time. Yeah. We'll do a feasibility study, for example. They'll say, hey, we're going to do a feasibility on this piece of dirt and we will design a skyscraper in a week and it will work. I mean, it'll be a real project. And I'm like, how did you do that in a week? I can't design a house in a week. Yeah. But that's because I go from big to small to big to small to big to small on everything that I do. And everything in that world is big. They're not worried about the small yet for a feasibility study. Yeah. It's big gesture stuff and conceptual. Yeah. So my brain goes into the weeds instantly. And that was okay when you're doing the kind of the high touch projects that I did previously. It's unnecessary. And it's an encumbrance, an unnecessary encumbrance on these larger scale projects. And so I'm having to reverse engineer my way, my kind of design process backwards to think of the gestures and tap the brakes on starting the day in the life scenario. Like how's the user, what's their walk-up experience? Yeah. You've had me come do a couple of jury reviews in your studios. And that's one of the things I always bring up is what's it like for that person to walk up to the front door? That's a big deal to me. Yeah. And when you design a skyscraper in like a week or 10 days or whatever it is. That's not the important part at the moment. No, they're like, what's the square footage and what's the parking ratio and how tall is it? And are we underneath the skyscraper cap? And there's a lot of other building code stuff that figures into it. Not the, well, how do we transition this material at an inside corner that I have to make so that it doesn't look like wallpaper, you know, kind of thing. That's the adjustment. That's the, the biggest delta, the biggest change between where I was and where I'm at right now has to do with me re-engineering my process, which that's not easy. No, it's not. The funny thing for me, my move to teaching is somewhat similar in a way that I'm having to define my process, which I think, I mean, to me, that's one of the interesting parts about me changing what I'm doing is that it's given me a chance to reflect and try to clarify some of the ways that I think about design. Well, that's at the root of what teaching's all about. I still remember when I started the blog 10 plus years ago, it was the idea that if I was going to talk about something, I had to know it well enough so that I could articulate it and defend it to somebody else, not just do it. Because some of the clients, you know, they hire you. They're like, well, you're the expert. I don't need to know how this stuff works. I want heated floors in my bathroom. So I would go do the research on heated floors. And if I chose to talk about that on the website, you can be rest assured that I would get some questions about people saying, well, why didn't you go hydro? Why'd you go electric? Or how does that work? Or what if the cord breaks? And you have to put yourself in a position to answer these questions. And it forces you to be able to learn and articulate what you did and why you did it and why you would do it differently if cer what circumstances were different, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I get that. So what's the takeaway from changing jobs other than things happen, stuff changes, long-term plans don't always pan out, flexibility is a career skill, all these sorts of things. Is there, now that you're kind of in it at the beginning, and there might be other people that are going through the process where they're thinking, 
hey, I have to close down my office and go join the regular working force where I have a, a higher up that I report to. What's that person takeaway? I don't know, man. You don't know? Cause I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not at a point to be able to say that yet. In a year from now, I might be able to give you some takeaway. But right now, I just, to me, it's also terrifying at the moment. So terrifying. All I'm is panic mode, to be quite honest. And I'm still having to adjust. I mean, I'm in that adjustment period of trying to make my peace with the changes that have kind of been pushed on me, which I'm not overly fond of, let's be honest. But at some point, I kind of have to accept the realities and move forward. Because if not, then you're just stuck standing still. So I hear that and I think attitude and flexibility. You having a positive attitude will make a difference. And you being flexible enough to... Take your current circumstances and try to be flexible to work with what opportunities you have before you. Because, you know, one of the challenges you had is you're in a small town. You can't just go anywhere and get a job and you can't leave that town because you got kids. Yeah, that makes it somewhat easier, but not really. It's hard for me to digest that because, like, yeah, if I was in Dallas, it wouldn't be a big deal. I could have find me another job. I mean, I think maybe I'm being a little arrogant here, but I could find me a job and it wouldn't be a problem. I think you could, but I think you still have a lot of the same issues that you're dealing with now. And that is, even if you were in Dallas and it's not, can I just get a job because I need to provide for my family? It's the, my day looks so different now when I go to work for somebody else doing something else than it does when I'm doing what I do the way that I want to do it. Yeah, I agree. That's a change in who you are mentally. Yeah, that's a change in your life, not just a change in your profession. Yeah, it has to be a change in how you go about your business, which is so like, for instance, I didn't, I still live in the same city that I worked in. And yeah. here's the thing that I didn't really get into is that the way that I found myself to be at Boca Pal really was as organic and honest and simple as could be. I have a really good friend of mine, Andrew Bennett, who he was actually one of the guests on our episode last year. He and I went to UT together. We've grown closer over the last couple of years. We actually didn't know each other in school, even though we were, we were there at the same time. He's a couple of years older than I am, even though he'll be quick to point out that I look a lot older than he does. And that's true. <laughs> so we reconnected a couple of years ago because he, as one of the owners and principals at Boca Pau, was working on a project for my wife when she was at her last job. And he made the connection. So I called him up and said, hey, let's go grab a drink. And we did. So we started kind of falling into this habit of kind of checking in every now and then. And as I started thinking, maybe I need to change my working environment a little bit from what it is. I don't know what that would look like. I don't know. Do I go out on my own? Do I hang my own shingle out? Well, that was really scary. And it wasn't because I didn't think that I could do it. It was that I'm not sure that my family wanted me to do that. Not because... Let's see, it makes them sound like they're terrible people. So it had been about five years. And over the five years, I'd sold and managed and done enough work to where I could have opened my own office and had one or two possible employees from day one. I could have done that. And my last employer was gracious enough to say, you can take whatever you need, whatever you want, whatever you need, it's yours, have at it. So I could have done that. But if you'll remember the second reason that I listed for leaving was like the stress associated with that. Yeah, the stress level would not be good for you. The stress level would be terrible for me because I stress out over things and I go, maybe it makes me old school guy, but I go, I have responsibilities to my family and I have obligations to support. And, you know, I have certain things that I'm responsible for. 
And I don't take those lightly. And so I thought, okay, well, I need to go put myself in a different work environment. So I just met with Andrew casually, not to say, hey, can I come work there? But just to say, hey, do you think my skill set would ever translate to a larger firm? I didn't ask him for a job, and I don't know that they were looking for somebody like me. And so we had this conversation over a month or two, a couple of times we met, have a beer, have a chat. And one of these times, I think a light bulb went off in his head, because I think they're starting to think about firm transition and what's the next wave of leadership going to look like and who are going to be the owners and principals and movers and shakers at their firm. And he said, I think you ought to come here. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't even know what that would look like. So then that's what those conversations turned into is what that would look like and what would my role be and how does my skill set translate from a firm of eight to a firm of a hundred. And that's part of the reason this took so long is one, I was lucky that I could afford to take the time to do it the best way that I thought possible. But it was also when I went to Boca Pal and because of Andrew, and I don't even know if I told you this, I might've mentioned it. So I interviewed with them on four different occasions. And the shortest interview was three hours long. Yeah, I remember you talking about a bunch of interviews. I didn't realize the shortest one was three hours. I knew there were some long ones, but I didn't know they were all that long. Yeah, really, really long. They're all very positive. And it was, I always thought it'd kind of be like if you were married and got divorced and then you were thinking about getting married again, you know what you need. Like, so if you ever do get remarried, you know the things that did or didn't work or the things that were important to you versus weren't important to you as a younger man and what's important to you and what's not as important to you as an older person, that you have a better way of dealing with that. So we got into questions that were pretty high level because I wouldn't even think about going there if it wasn't a good fit. This has got to be the last move for me. That's one of the things that's scary about this whole process. You know, I'm not 30. I don't have five jobs left in me. Yeah, I I hear you. Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) Even though the number of jobs I've had so far would suggest that I got like eight more in me. Yeah, give or take. Give or take. But that was a consideration. I go, this has got to be the end game. I thought my last job was going to be that. And I went into it. And, you know, if there were 100 things I needed to check the box on, I checked off 99 of them. Pretty good. But that one was a big one. Yeah. This firm's big enough to where I'm not dealing with the personality tendencies of just one person. There's a whole bunch of people. Decisions are made by committees and groups, not one person who thinks he knows better than everybody else. And again, once we have world domination with a podcast, we don't have to worry about anything anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You got that right, brother. I mean, because that's the end game here. Let's be real, listeners. That's where we're going. You're at station stop number one. That's right. You're you're in early. You can say, I remember back when. Yeah, exactly. I remember back when they were recording in their closets. (laughs) You still are recording in your closet. Okay. It's time for the very first hypothetical question of the 2020 season. 2020? It scares me. But yeah, it's only like a couple of days, so. I think I'm going to name, I'm going to title this season of hypotheticals as the year that Andrew kills me. (laughs) Why is that? Do you think? Because you know that I always think you're wrong. Oh, I know. I don't expect that to change. Oh, it's not going to change. People expect it now, though. Yeah, I know. I got a good one, I think. You ready? Well, let's hear it, man. Okay. If you could domesticate any animal in the world to be your pet, like a super devoted and obedient pet, which animal would you choose? And it has to be an existing, currently alive. Oh, oh, I can't combine animals or... No, you can't combine... I can't say a dragon. Nope, you can't say a dragon. You can't choose (laughs) a 
pterodactyl. Dang it. A T-Rex? That nope. would be the one for me, a T-Rex. Nope. Nope. It has to be okay. alive right now. It has to be a current, currently living, non-extinct animal. Yes. I was thinking about this a little bit because I... I'd forgotten what it was and I looked today and so I refreshed my brain and I can't decide what would I want, what I wanted just because it was going to be cool or what I want to get something that was like of benefit, that was like functional, could help me do stuff. Like you're going to tell some monkey, go get me the remote control? Yeah. Or, you know, if I had an elephant, I could be like moving stuff. I mean, elephants are kind of domesticated anyway, but I don't know. I could have a giraffe and be like, hey, man, can you fix the chimney? Get the Frisbee off the roof? What else yeah, is it going to do? You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know something. Or if it was a, a gorilla, I could be like, hey, go beat that dude up. <laughs> oh, okay. We need to put some rules in place here. <laughs> okay. Already. Yeah. They can be trained and obedient, but they don't understand you. You can't go say beat up Fred <laughs> to your gorilla. Okay. So they, it's just basically they turn into a really well-behaved dog. Yeah. Just like with dogs, you can... Train your dog to attack somebody. Yes, right. But even still, there to me, there were things like that could be useful or functional. I don't know. Wait, wait. Here, here's another. We need to put this rule in, or maybe oh, we just we just put it to the end. Go ahead. No, this no. M- what's the rule? This might actually change your answer. Well, okay. We don't need to get into at least now, at least until after I give my answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Picking up things like waste or how do you feed it. Okay, that's like if, fine. Yeah, if you want right. an elephant, you're like, where am I going to put an elephant in my front yard? Just pretend that you have a place for an elephant in your it front works, yard. It works, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it yeah, works. Okay. All right, that's fine. But anyway, I was fighting with cool or useful, and I think I decided it would just be cool. I really, I think it would be really cool, be a great white shark, but there's no use for that. Like, I can't, what am I going to do with that? So I moved over to... Yeah, that's terrible. That one's terrible. No, I know. That's why I said. But I mean, it would just be cool. I have my own pet, Great White. What's up? And then people go, I don't believe you. And you're like, okay, well, let's go to the ocean. I know, exactly. Well, that's my point. Or do you carry carry a picture of it in your wallet? (laughs) Because I was starting to think about like animals that I think are really cool. So then it ended up, I think it would just be some kind of cat, like a tiger or a black leopard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. It's cool. And probably like a tiger, because it would be, it'd get really big. I like a giant tiger. Because, I mean, I already have a cat. It's fat, but it's not as big as a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the size of the tiger's paw. Yeah, I know. I know. But it would be cool. I think that would be cool that I could have a tiger. I mean, I've kind of always wanted one. So, I think I'd have to go with a tiger. Because there was a time when I was thinking about like a condor, you know, like a really <laughs> big bird. But I opted out of that. It just didn't make quite as much sense. And so I'm going with the tiger because then I could just be cool walking around the neighborhood with a tiger. Yeah. And okay. then if I wanted to train it to eat people, I could train it to eat people. Yeah. Okay. You go to jail for that, I think. Well, I, yeah, I know, but still. Or they'd kill the tiger. But that's about all I got. It's one of the wildest but coolest things I could think of. Okay. Uh, that's a good selection, Andrew. I support that selection. What? Whatever. I'm sure it's coming. And you, what animal would you choose for your domesticating purposes. I also chose a tiger. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here's why. Not just because it was cool or helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think a tiger would be helpful at all. (laughs) No, that's why I say it was cool. Helpful was the elephant or whatever. I don't know. I don't even think an elephant would be helpful. Uh, Anyway. I mean, you don't live in India. You don't have any logs to move. 
Yeah, but it could pick up all the mulch from my front yard, the bags that I buy at Home Depot, and haul them to the back. <laughs> it takes so long. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing it, though, breaking my back. Yeah, in that case, you should get like a gorilla. Yeah, maybe so. You know, lots of animals can pick up a 40-pound bag of mulch. Or just a sled dog, put a bunch of them on there. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So I think it comes down to companionship versus intimidation, right? Okay. Like, for yeah. instance- I think. I started thinking, you have to choose something hairy so you can, like, <laughs> so you can pet it, <laughs> you know? Uh, or, okay. Or, 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 right. or cuddle with it or something. Oh, okay. Like, because if you just want intimidation, you can have, like, a Nile crocodile that's 28 feet long, and that would scare the crap out of everybody. <laughs> yeah, but, but you, it's not You cool. can't, like, yeah, you can't, like, pet it. Sure you could. If it was obedient. super devoted and obedient. I could pet it. I'm not saying you couldn't because it wouldn't let you. I'm saying it wouldn't feel like great. Oh, eh, maybe. Like, you know, you see like lions or leopards or tigers and you just want to pet them. You want to like run your hands and like they feel so soft. You know? Through their gorgeous mane. Yes. Put your, yeah, yeah I love them. Right. That's what you want to <laughs> do. You're not going to do that to something that's like all leathery. Yeah. I've ridden an elephant before. It's Me hair. Too. It's like needles. Yeah, I know. No one's coming up it going is. loving on an Ooh, elephant. Yeah, I know. And I've actually I had an alligator when I was younger. So yeah. Yeah. They're not they don't feel good. Yeah, they're cute though. So I think you have to go with something hairy. So I go, could you do gorilla? I, it had to be a big one, right? Because I think part of it is just the awesomeness factor of like walking into work with your gorilla. <laughs> yeah, right. With your or it's your bring tiger. You back to work day and you're like, check me out. Yeah. And I also think that it'd be fun that you could ride it or it could carry you. A tiger? You could ride a tiger. Uh, okay. I don't mean like put a saddle on it, but you could. <laughs> the dudes in Vegas, they would climb yeah. on the back and they wouldn't last yeah. very long. It's kind of like that when the eight-year-old boy tries to ride the grease pig at the county fair or something. Yeah, the sheep riders. Yeah, they make it like 50 feet and they slide off the side. Yep, mutton busting. I think that's what that would. What about a bear? You could have like a. That's why. That's what I just popped in my head was a bear. How cool would a big bear be? Yeah, a I debate. I debate between grizzly bear. I don't think I'd go grizzly. I think I'd go polar. Polar bear. Yeah, that was my other thing. Polar would be cool. Yeah. So I was trying to decide. I had three on my list: polar bear, lion, or a tiger. I worry about like the lion's mane getting all matted. I don't mess with that. <laughs> I don't worry about. Grooming. I don't know, man. My not, tiger could have dreadlocks and be cool. They wouldn't, but they wouldn't be like all even. Have like one big dreadlock on the side. <laughs> right? I don't want that. It looks stupid. You just have to take care of it. I mean, if I had a if I had a pet lion with a big old mane, I would just brush it all the time. That would be our quality time together. It's laying on my lap, and I'm brushing this big old mane. It, I don't know. You're talking about companionship. It look, to me, it, that's it. It'd lick your face, and you'd go, "Oh my god." As it like <laughs> ripped the skin off your face. That's what would happen. Uh, maybe. They're, I don't they're know. tugs. So I think polar bears kind of be dope. Yeah, polar bear would be cool. Because they're huge. So I was like, it's got to be big. Right. I think I settled on tiger just because I think they're amazing. And I think they're beautiful. And I think you get, it's the best of both the companion and the intimidation. Yeah. I think it's the best of both worlds. Because I've seen some of those trained tigers that they use for movies, but they're all pretty cool and like cats where they're like, come and lay in your lap. Man, that would hurt if it laid on you, 800 pounds or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now, if we got into the practicalities of like, okay, how do you feed it? 
Yeah, it's just like steak all the time. Pick up its waist. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like you litter box train a tiger? Oh my God, how, you'd need like a <laughs> giant, like a snow shovel. And it'd be like a kiddie pool or something. It would be the litter box. Ugh. Yeah, I don't even know. And this thing's got to like roam around your house because then it's not as cool, right? It's not like you leave it in a chain link fence and you put a no. leash, leash on it. It's free. Yeah, no, no, no. Free range. It's in your house. Oh yeah, it'd have to be. It would be like a regular cat in your house. Who do you think would win in a fight, a polar bear or a tiger? I don't know. I would have to say tiger, maybe. Because in my mind, it's faster. Maybe not faster, not the word, but like quicker. Yeah. I feel like a tiger would be able to outmaneuver a polar bear, but maybe not. I think a lion would beat a tiger. Maybe. Their go-to move is to rip the throat open. Yeah. And that's why tigers have that big mane. You can't get at their throat. You mean lions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Lions have that big mane. You can't get at their throat. He'd just be laughing like you're tickling him (laughs) as you're trying to rip his throat out. Nothing. Gotcha. I like a tiger, and I was going with the jaguar, like a black one, because if I could get a black tiger, that would be the thing. That would please me aesthetically as well as giant, fierce companion animal. I'd want the most tigery looking tiger ever. Yeah, Bengal tiger all the way. Bengal all the way. Or polar bear. You wouldn't want a white tiger? No, I don't want a white tiger. Gotcha. All right. No, because you look at it and go, oh, it's a white tiger. If it was like a regular tiger, you'd go, holy crap, it's a tiger. Oh. <laughs> okay. You think the white makes them like less ferocious looking? Yeah. It's, it's like a novelty. It's like an albino thing where you're like, oh, look at that. Not, oh my God, it's going to eat me. That's right. And I'm going for the eating. I think that's fair. And and I think that if you took your tiger or your polar bear out for a walk and it decided to poop in someone's front yard, no one's going to make you pick that up. Yeah, no. You just leave it. <laughs> yeah, someone goes, hey, 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 what about that? And I'll go, you want to pick it up? And I could snap my finger, snap, snap. And the tiger <laughs> could just like make a face and go. <sighs> yeah, growl, right? Yeah. And they're like, it's cool. I got it. We're cool. We're all cool here. Maybe that's what you just have to train it as an indoor-outdoor tiger. And so you wouldn't have to have a litter box. You would just let it go out in the backyard. Oh, my God. You just open the front door and it roams the neighborhood, goes to the bathroom, <laughs> comes back. Your neighbor's out there hosing <laughs> off his flower garden. Yeah, Tiger exactly. goes by. It wouldn't last very long doing that, man, because would, somebody would call a cop. It'd get tranked pretty quick. What they call animal control? They show up with a little net, and it's like, uh, what? We need a bigger Can net. Can you imagine that? Sitting out in your front yard with your pet tiger, and they show up, and like, we've heard some reports of a tiger on the leash. And you're like, no, it's just my pet. It's fine. It's got tags. <laughs> it's got a collar, rabies Exactly. Shot. It's got his rabies shots and everything. It's good. <laughs> Promise. I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 40, Changing Jobs. Thanks for listening. Check out lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes. Also, if you like the show, head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Give us a feedback and give us a rating. That'd be great. Be sure to wait until the very end to see if there's some blooper gold and have a cool day. Take it easy, everybody. I might be drunk on Christmas meatballs. On what? Christmas meatballs. Christmas meatballs? What's a Christmas meatball? A meatball that you eat at Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) It's not anything special. It's not like specially Christmas spiced. It's It's not like rolled in peppermint. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I'm just asking. No, it's, well, 
It's just meatballs. We just only make them at Christmas time. It's like, how long do deviled eggs stay good for? You know, <laughs> oh. three days. Oh, <laughs> too late. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob. And Andrew died. Oh, I, you didn't say Bob Boris. I know. So I'm I was just, like, wait, what? I, just, <laughs> I left that part out. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right. Because I'm thinking, don't people know who I am by now? No, that's fine. That's fine. That sounded a little I, cocky. You... <clears throat> what was that? What? It sounded like you just fell out of a tree. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Check out lifeofanarchitect.com website. That's weird. Yeah, you wrote that. I know. You're going to give up on your five star, the five star whatever rating is gone? Yeah. No one's ever said one thing about it. End of self-promotion. <laughs> End of gratuitous shilling. <laughs>